0: Fascinating people, fascinating places. G'day and welcome to the Dan Mainwaring Podcast. This is where we talk to and about the famous and the infamous, the celebrated and the obscure, the well-known and the undiscovered. Interviews, articles and discussions from around the globe.
1: To start this episode, I'm going to ask you to try and picture a scene that may be familiar to you if you've ever been to Britain. It's a warm, if not hot... In the sunny day, although a few puffy white clouds hint at a slight chance of rain. You're sitting on a creaky wooden bench, sipping a fancifully named warm beer outside a thatch roofed 16th century pub. At the table next to you, under a tatty Green King sunshade, a couple are squabbling, while their children try to trap the troublesome wasp in an empty glass. Outside the pub stands an old man, with handlebar mustache looking uncomfortably hot in his tweed jacket as he smokes his pipe. A couple of fellas fresh off the cricket field noisily stroll past while the potman clears the empty crisp packets and ashtrays from another table nearby. Suddenly there's some chatter across the village green as a group of men emerge from the vicarage. They're wearing white overalls on top of their street clothes. They have bells attached to their cuffs Colorful ribbons tied around their knees and elbows and flowery wreaths atop their heads. Holding what look like small rolling pins, they create a formation in the center of the green. They freeze like statues for a few minutes until their companions, armed with tin whistles, tambourines and accordions, emerge from the wooden beam pub. A few neighbors creep outside while a larger group of onlookers stumble out of the horse and crown. The music starts, and the Morris dance begins. It's a scene that plays out in villages all over Britain on Whitson and at spring fairs and school fates. But who are these Morris dancers? Why do they wear these extraordinary costumes? What is Morris dancing all about? And how exactly did this peculiar British tradition begin? In seeking answers, I decided to start in an unlikely place, 10,000 miles from the idyllic English village I just described, down in sunny Melbourne, Australia. It's here that Kat Vance Hoth and Nat James, members of the Brown Dragon Morris group, bring this little slice of British folk tradition to a distant audience. So Kat and Nat, you're all the way in Australia, so how did you get involved with Morris dancing?
2: Uh, my story is funny, um, my friend and I went to a folk festival, I grew up in South Australia and I'm now living in Melbourne, we went to a folk festival in, in um, South Australia and we saw a bunch of women, which is the Lancashire Witches, in wooden sole clogs, they had a great deal of attitude um, and they broke the stage. The stage? Like they... <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was <my> the <laughs> Yeah, it was. <laughs> They were stomping and and rattling so much that the little stage they were on (laughs) broke and they had to dance in front of it. And at age 16, my friend and I went, I wanna do that. Um, So we found the, the group and we joined and we danced with them for 12 months. And then I moved to Melbourne. And when I got here, there wasn't a side that had women in it, there was only a men's side. So I spent about five or so years dancing in like whenever there was a festival, whenever the witches came over, whenever I went to Adelaide, I would dance and I was getting more frustrated. So in the end, I formed Brand Dragon because I wanted to dance and there wasn't anyone I could dance with. And lots of people kept saying, well, why don't you start aside? And I got loads of support from all the community in Melbourne People said, yes, I found at the side, but in my view, I kind of stood up and was loud and the side kind of formed around me and did stuff and like musicians and teachers and organisers kind of appeared out of the woodwork and we started doing Northwest and we're a mixed side because I had lots of friends who wanted to learn to dance who weren't just male or female. That's kind of how I got into it and lots of people I kind of dragged in because I went Hey, you like pubs and you like dancing come join us <laughs> which works quite well on university students
0: <laughs> oh see my story feels a lot less interesting now Yeah. Uh, essentially my i started doing what was my hobby at the time for work and i went this is ridiculous i need a new hobby and you need to say what the hobby was though so for about 10 years ago i joined the crew for the Enterprise, Melbourne's t- tall ship, even though she's the smallest tall ship in Australia. The <laughs> volunteer crew, it's a replica of the ship that brought the first white settlers to Melbourne back in 1835. From Hobart, not Sydney. <laughs> Sorry, suck it Sydney. Um, and we, had, we have still a shanty band because, you know, people who s- join up to a ship tend to also like singing shanties. Uh, and then through a series of events I started working in the office and um, when something's both your job and your hobby you spend a lot of time in it. And one, one night at Shanty Band I cracked it I went, I can't, I need a new hobby. I can't be doing this every day during the week and on the weekends. It's, I will lose my mind more than I already have. And one of our friends, um, Kathy, looked at me and went, can you skip? I went, yeah. It's like, can you flail your arms around in time to music? Yes. (laughs) It's like, come to Morris. (laughs) And that was... I don't know. Five, six years ago now? Yeah.
2: About that. Yeah. So of course that means that there are also Morris dancers
0: in shanty. Mm. And sometimes they just, you know, as folk musicians do, they just break out Portsmouth or British Grenadiers. One of the songs to which we have dances. And I'm sitting there going, no, which dance do we do to this one? No, am I ranting or am I skipping? Wait, Kathy, is this one a left foot start? And she goes, Kat, shanty band, not Morris.
1: (laughs) So if you're musicians, you have people that also play shanty music, which is kind of like sailor music from back in the day. What kind of instruments do they use, though? Is it accordions and flutes and things like that?
0: Yeah, so there's squeeze boxes, melodions... Widdles, tin whistles, horns, a lot of voices, a lot of voices. The best part is you don't have to be actually singing; it can just be shouting to the melody.
1: <laughs> it's nothing crazy like an electric guitar.
0: Not so much an electric guitar because amps tend to need a power point, and a lot of the time we're outdoors. Martin has been known to bring a trombone.
2: Oh uh, yeah, we've also we've yes. had a couple of people show up with trombones. I don't know why trombones; they just
0: we, there's he's had a saxophone as well we've yeah. got the hurdy-gurdy, hurdy-gurdy.
2: there's uh, definitely a couple of hurdy-gurdies yeah they're mostly in Queensland I don't know why mm. Queensland attracts hurdy-gurdies but they do
1: <laughs> is that an Australian thing?
0: hurdy-gurdy is a really old uh, medieval English instrument it's, it's like this massive box with strings and instead of plucking the strings you wind a, a little handle that has a a wheel that it rotates to rub against the strings and then to get the different notes like on a fretboard there's buttons
2: and it kind uh, of creates a drone
0: it yeah sort of a drone with a da 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 it's really cool i do enjoy them <laughs> i also just enjoy saying hurdy-gurdy yeah there's that too
1: <laughs> it just sounds really australian like something crocodile dundee would say like that ain't hurdy-gurdy <laughs>
2: It does, doesn't it? It does, but actually that one's not us. No, that That is actually the English name. We are absolved of the hurdy-gurdy. <laughs> Although, you'd be forgiven for thinking it was an Australian one. a hurdy-gurdy. This is a hurdy-gurdy.
0: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> You're ridiculous. <laughs> That's why you like me. It's
1: Possibly. <laughs> Rude. All right, so moving on from the hurdy-gurdy. So Australia obviously was originally a penal colony for Britain. Do you know if the Morris dancing is something that came over with the original settlers, or is this something that kind of sprang up later on as people moved from the UK over to Australia?
2: So it's a bit of both. There is some evidence that some of the first settlers were dancers, but it's interesting because we're mainly a penal colony. We know that there's a little bit of that. some of the the prisoners knew St Morris and knew some dancing, but I don't know if that actually continued and I don't know how long that stuck around. And most of the sides now are from the 60s, 70s. So it's that folk renewal, that, that folk revival that happened in the 60s and 70s and more people like expats, English people came over and said, oh, I want to dance, and they got people in Australia to engage. So you won't find the sides that have been, like in England, where you can find them, that they've been around for two to 400 years. I think we're celebrating one side that's been around for nearly 50, and I think they're probably the oldest.
1: We'll hear more from Nat and Kat in a little while, but I decided it was time to touch base with someone across the other side of the world, where Morris dancing began. And I was able to connect with Peter Austin of the Morris Ring. I was always brought up on folk music, so for any listeners who are familiar with the
3: English folk scene, there were bands like the Yetis, Sea Eye Span, and also looking further afield, we had the Dubliners from Ireland. Um, so I learned a lot of the songs that way, and a lot of the instrumentals, particularly from the English scene, were derived from Morris tunes. So you might get instrumentals or you might get a Morris tune with it. Fast forward about 20 odd years, uh, I've been through university, got my degree, moved up to the Midlands to start work and I find myself in a position where I needed something to do. And I went and joined the Jockey Morris in Birmingham on Friday evening and that was six years ago. Having done that, I then rapidly proceeded to join a few more teams. And I never look back. So as it stands, I'm in a member of about five or six teams, plus a few what we call one-day events. So teams that will meet up for once a year just to do something special on a particular time of the year. I've also had several office holder positions within those teams, so be it squire, which is I suppose the equivalent of chairman, or treasurer, which is a fairly obvious one. And I also, these days, serve as bagman for the Morris Ring which is the equivalent in most clubs of secretary.
1: For the Morris Ring, that holds a bit more of a responsibility because it's dealing on a national level rather than just at a local level. So, Peter, tell me a little bit about your organisation.
3: The Morris Ring was started in 1934. It was from six teams that were started in what is now referred to as the first folk revival of the post-Victorian around the time before the First World War and just after as well. And over time, more teams joined. So today we have 160 member teams. I don't know the exact number of members those teams make up, but you're talking a couple of thousand easily.
1: So before I started this podcast, I always had an idea of Morris dancing as a male-only troop wearing white, whacking sticks together. Now I've come to find out there are actually a lot of different types of Morris dancing, but the stereotypical image I and I think most people have of those guys, that's actually what's called cotswold dancing but there are many other types so within the morris ring what's the breakdown you have in terms of the different types of dancers
3: i'd say the morris ring predominantly is made up of cotswold teams i think that would be the case for any of the morris organizations in the uk you'd find the tendency is towards uh, cotswold but certainly there are representations for northwest for border rapper sword dancing longsword dancing we all have the representatives within organizations
1: as I mentioned earlier, there is a perception of Morris dancing as being something purely for men. Was that the case? Because obviously now we do have women who participate in it.
3: There isn't a lot of evidence in any direction, to be perfectly honest. There is a painting that shows uh, men and women dancing together. Whether it was Morris, whether it was just social dance, we don't know. But um, they certainly have the beast with them, so the horse in that case. So we know there was something going on there. Generally, the references is predating if you like the modern era, were largely male. And certainly in the revival period, most of the performing teams were either men or were young women. To make that discernment, it didn't tend to be done by married women, as far as I understand it.
1: So does the Morris Ring include women dancers?
3: In 2011, Morris Ring changed its recruitment policy to specifically say that uh, having female musicians would be acceptable. Because up to that point, the line had been exclusively male. And then in 2018, that progressed to everyone's welcome. It's been a very much a positive step for everyone, I think. You know, it's it's allowed teams to diversify their recruitment. (laughs) Basically, for anyone who wants to come, they're more than welcome. So it's been
1: a step in the right direction for everyone. So is the Morris Ring a governing body that makes all of the rules and regulations then for teams?
3: So the Morris Ring isn't necessarily a governing body in, for example, the way that Sports England or uh, any of the uh, sports teams, and I'll use the sports team example, we basically let teams set their own recruitment policy, So they can be male, they can be female, they can be mixed. We don't set any particular uh, requirement that teams have to have a specific gender profile. You actually tend to see more age than gender these days, to be perfectly honest. So for rap of sword dancing, for example, which is a lot faster, you tend to find it attracts a younger crowd. Although certainly there are a few diehards out there that are still dancing well into their 60s and 70s, and it's fantastic to
1: watch. What is a rapid sword team? That sounds pretty dangerous. So a rapid sword team is made up of about five people. Each one has a
3: sword, and the idea is that the rapid team will form a ring with the swords, so each person will hold a sword in each hand, and the idea is then the dancers will weave in and out of each other without letting the sword go and that can make some very complex figures, as you might imagine, particularly once the music's
1: speeds up. The word revival seems to be banded around quite a bit with Morris dancing, and from what I can ascertain, it seems as if, sort of in the Victorian era, it died out somewhat, and then rebounded. What would you say was the cause behind its decline and then its rise again?
3: One of the reasons, certainly, is the industrialisation of what we now refer to as the United Kingdom. So, as industry became more prominent, shall we say. People left the countryside to go to the cities to find work. And obviously, in a lot of cases, those traditions tend to die out in the more rural areas. That said, there are obviously some traditions that were brought into the industrialised areas. So, for example, North West Morris is danced, wearing clogs, and is generally believed to be inspired by the movements excuse me, within the cotton weaving machines getting around Manchester and Lancashire generally. And that's very militaristic in its uh, styling. So a lot of it is done played to military
1: marches and that type of thing. And it's the North West style of dancing that has taken off in Melbourne with the Brand Dragon group.
2: Our group, Brand Dragon, does what's called northwest Clog Morris. So that's a style that in England is recognised as separate. And we dance in wooden sole clogs. Our dances are more from the industrial era of England. So they're not as old as some of them. I mean, they're, they're probably the older dancers, but they've been adapted. The clogs were made to work in both the mines and the cotton mills, because traditionally you would wear hobnail boots and they would have nails on the bottom of them. So if you're working in a coal mine or in a cotton mill, they can strike sparks and the whole place can go up. So they came up with these wooden soled shoes. So they're wooden, sold and leather upper. They're no nails or anything on the bottom. And they're really solid, so they they last for ages. And so they became the everyday shoes in like the sort of the Northwestern industrial area of England and in some of the mining areas. So I wouldn't do Morris out in the street in these. I would do dancing that is just made to make the noise. So it's a different style of dancing again called step clog that's a little bit like tap, but considerably older. They made clogs. And everybody wore them because, you know, you've you've got peasant people who don't have a lot of, you know, lots of clothes and whatever. They've probably got one pair of good shoes for church and they're clogs. And when you make people with wooden-soled feet, they start dancing
0: because they make a really loud noise. It's a very organic transition from, hey, my shoes make noise to dancing to make rhythmic noises. Yeah. I think it's a very human thing. Yeah. And you can hear in the, the
2: difference between North West and Cotswold. So Cotswold is the other primary style. And you see in England, mostly it's men in the whites with the big bells and the sticks. And they're what most people think of as Morris. And they've got a lot of their dances have reference to sort of very pastoral type stuff or shooting. So you're going out and, and disturbing the grouse and shooting the animals and whatever. All very agricultural. That's the word. Whereas... Um, northwest, you can hear rhythms in the dancing that are more industrial. So you can kind of hear as if it's a machi- piece of machinery you're listening to and those kinds of rhythms. And some of our dancers are like, they've got bits in it where you can mm, see like it's shuttles. called. Yeah, it's called shuttle and it's almost like the loom on a on a cotton weave. So it's just a slightly different technique. Um, well, style. So that's us. <laughs> that's brand dragon
1: so it's interesting you mentioned that because over here in west virginia they have a dance called clogging which is traditional in the mining communities and from what you're saying it sounds pretty similar to northwest so i was wondering if they had the same origins
2: yeah so there is some indication and i'm sorry my u.s geography is <laughs> crap but there <laughs> there was english people who came to the appalachians and the appalachian mountains And there's actually a style of clog called Appalachian Stepping um, that's actually done more in tap shoes. And they call them clogs because they're wooden tap shoes. And that was believed to be the English coming in and settling in that area and spreading this type of dancing.
1: I guess the moonshine helped people to get dancing too. (laughs)
0: Look, it'd be that too. There is a strong connection between Morris dancing and drinking. (laughs) I wouldn't be surprised.
2: (laughs) We also have Border. Border, which is from the border of Wales and England, and they have all black faces and all the tattered
0: coats. Though, as a note, in the modern day, no forward-thinking side does the full black face because of the racial connotations. It's, it's more often now, like, you'll see sides uh, yeah. that do a full blue face or, like, a domino mask or just fun, like, that almost pagan, yeah. like, you know, a half black, like, from the, the cheekbones up. I think once a few times I did like a crow. Yeah, that was fun.
2: And I've done swirly bits. Mm -hmm. You might they might use, um, like a burnt chalk and put soot on their faces, and that's more like you know yes you've been in the mines and you're sooty, but it won't be. Kat said it won't be a full blacked up face. There are some sides who are still a bit. (sighs) There's some discussions around that, um, but it's pretty much accepted that if if you're gonna do it, you don't do
1: blackface. It's an issue the Morris Ring have also been forced to tackle. Within the Morris realm, there are some dancers that traditionally wore what you would refer to as blackface. And I've read different explanations for this. Some people have said that it was to try and make them look like Africans and that the word Morris was actually derived from the word Moore. Other people have said that actually In the past, people would blacken their faces if they were going to go out at night and steal things. And to support that argument, you have the fact that in the 1700s, it was a capital offence to wear blackface because it was associated with disguising oneself, going out to commit robberies or otherwise concealing your identity. What are your thoughts on its origins?
3: The honest answer is that no one really has a definite proof of origin. There's any number of theories out there and... In a lot of cases, the issue, of course, is proving or disproving that that theory is right or wrong. Part of this is why the joint Morris organisations, which represent the three main Morris Morris Association of Clubs in Britain, came together to say, actually, in this day and age, we do not feel that the use of blackface paint is appropriate. So we unanimously came to the decision that we would ask our members to phase out the practice as of 2020. it's it's a a minefield, it really is, when you go back through our history. And of the various theories out there, there's some that claim it's from the time of Oliver Cromwell when it was illegal to beg. And of course, Morris particularly has a long association with uh, the agricultural communities. The idea was that the workers who couldn't get much employment in the winter months would ask to collect a few coins to go and get beer, if nothing else. Mm -hmm. But obviously, begging being illegal, they didn't want to be identified by anyone in the authority, so... Was, was black face paint used? Probably not, because obviously at that time it didn't exist, but a form of guising would have been used. But there's very little in the way of substantive proof to actually prove it happened.
1: So with all the different types of dancing and theories on origin, as you said, Morris is a pretty broad church at this point. But how widespread is it?
3: Obviously, Morris at one time would almost exclusively have been in UK in the form that we recognise it as, although there is suggestions that it is inherited from wider European dance styles. So there's Maresca in Spain, for example. There's a lot of uh, teams that dance traditional, dances in the Basque region that have a lot of shared traits. But looking to the day, you've got a lot of areas where you have expats British communities who have taken up Morris dancing, or in some cases you've got second, third generation teams who we taught it by British expats and they've been subsequently taking it on and they're very much made up of uh, local people now. We know there are a number of teams in North America, across North America, both the United States and Canada. We have teams in Sweden, Denmark, across Europe there's a few dotted. Heading across to Asia we definitely have at least one team in Hong Kong, one in Japan, there's a quite a few in Australia as you might imagine. It's a very broad church these days and it's a great community to be part of. Personally, I went on a tour to Australia back in 2018. And that was really good fun. It was, it was just nice to spend two weeks out there hanging with a different crowd of people and uh, getting to sort of mixed with that sort of environment. So we started in Adelaide, went across to Melbourne and finished up in the
1: state capital of Canberra. So with that convenient segue, I'll jump back to Australia, where I had a few remaining questions. So I noticed on your website that your costumes are green and red as opposed to a traditional white.
2: So the Cotswold and the guys usually wear white. But us, because I started Brand Dragon, um, I came from a side in Adelaide that wore white and gingham and were very pretty. And they were called the Lancashire Witches. And I'm not that kind of pretty. And I went, we're not wearing white because all I ever do is make a mess of it. And I like red and green. And everyone went, yeah, red and green. Oh, but somebody turned around and said, "You'll blend in if, in if you're dancing in a park, so you need to be bright." So we ended up with Christmas elf costumes. <laughs> Mention the elves.
0: <laughs> it does mean that the, the, for us, the middle of summer gigs, where it is approaching Christmas, but we do look quite topical, which is either good or bad, depending on your perspective.
1: <laughs> right. So you've talked about the dance styles, but are there particular dances that all the groups do?
2: So in England with Northwest there used to be like one dance that was a town's dance like a town signature dance. So a lot of the dances are named after towns. So you'll find things like Horbury Rushcart is a dance that we know and it's from the town of Horbury and it was when they would do their rushcart dance which our particular style also did a fair lot fair bit of processional so you would move from one place to the next by dancing and rushcart was when you would go and cut all the rushes and dance the, the cart with all the rushes on it into the town. And some people say it was into the church to put the new rushes down for the church. Some people say it was for the pub or the community centre, probably was the church for a fair mm. bit of it. Who knows what it was before then?
0: I know what I'd prefer. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so there is, in, in England, there's definitely dances belonged to certain groups and they're still they can be quite possessive of of certain dances if you don't get permission to learn a dance they can get upset if you learn and do their dance without asking really we yeah it's kind of funny that said i do kind of get it we have one dance that is like we've made up a number of our dances we've written our own dances we do a lot of other people's dances and we have one dance that is kind of ours that we wrote which is a motwell hill and it's not that we wouldn't share it. It's that we would like it to be done the way we do
1: it. That makes sense.
2: <laughs> it's very funny when you think of the way that we
0: dance other people's dances. Yes.
2: And like, and even that dance is kind of funny because uh, the person who, who wrote it thought she was teaching us somebody else's dance. And when she went through and she taught this whole dance and it's really nice and showy and it's big and it's an eight-person dance so it's it's dramatic and and then she realized that she'd actually put together figures from three other dancers and that actually it was quite unique to us Um, and so she then went well it's ours so (laughs) it's kind of funny saying that we won't give it out unless we're sure that the people have the right notes and the right information when actually we kind of half stole it from three other sides. Accidentally. Accidental.
1: We've talked about diversity in terms of women and also cultural sensitivities. But in terms of membership, is it still largely a Anglo-Saxon group or is there more diversity within your membership now?
0: It tends to still be reasonably majority uh, white people in- yeah. involved. Um. I think in
2: Australia, there's still, like, the older generation are mostly expats. Um, and, yeah, we do tend to get Anglo people joining. But it's interesting in that there are other, like, I know of a site in Hong Kong. Mm. Um
0: well, they hosted Bell for yeah. a trip, didn't they? Yeah.
2: So one of our Queensland sides actually went over and visited the site in Hong Kong because they had connections. And so they spent two weeks in Hong Kong and danced with the Morris over there. But it is, it's still mostly Anglo. Um, and I've occasionally had some interesting conversations and some interesting thoughts myself about some of the places that we dance because of the traditional owners here, like our Indigenous First Nations people, Um, particularly things like May Day where we tend to find one of the most significant or highest points and dance first thing in the morning Um, and often those places are significant places for Aboriginal people and it feels a little bit odd to be dancing an English very English colonial tradition on top of a significant place Um, there's not there's not ways in Australia for us to necessarily get permission to do that or and sometimes we will like some some groups will find some way or they'll acknowledge the traditional owners before they dance Um, some people don't think about it Um, so yeah it's still colonialism is still voluntarily strong here and I think because um, Morris is very much English Mm. we do tend to stick with we, we, we attract mostly English people
1: what would you say is the biggest draw to bring people in and keep them involved in the community?
2: I mean, I think the thing to me is that Morris, for me, has become a community. Mm. So and so we had our 20th anniversary last year. Yes. And it was, I because I started the side, I was thinking about if I wanted to say anything in particular about, like, when we had a bit of an event, and I was thinking about what the side meant to me. One of the things that I kind of felt was that even if you don't dance like you can dance with one group or multiple groups which we do and we if you dance with more than one group you tend to get called a tart which is kind of hilarious <laughs> and most of us do and even though we're scattered across australia which is a large space there is quite a community between morris and i find that having started Brand Dragon, we do more than just dance there's connections between people and we've been dancing with each other for 20 plus years and those people become friends in a particular way. And Mm -hmm. I think that it does become a part of your life and we Mm -hmm. joke and say it takes over your life, but it is also because that community Mm -hmm. aspect, it, it takes over your life because you're friends, you've done a lot of stuff together, you've camped together, You've brought your kids into it. Your kids are now a part of that community. And rolling their eyes every second of the way. Yeah, if they can. (laughs) Sometimes. (laughs) The moment my kid is still young enough to think that Morris dancing is cool, I'm waiting for him to realise the reality. (laughs) But, yeah, so it it does, it really is a community thing. And lots of people have got a lot of support for things other than dancing. Beyond that, someone recently lost their partner and... he danced and she danced and she was one of our founding members and yeah it was kind of a really big thing for everyone and a lot of support has poured out for him and his daughter to try to see you know to make sure they still come to festivals they still have opportunities to dance they still have opportunities to be a part of the community because the idea of them not would be really sad and there's this whole resource for them available if they want it, because yeah, they've just been a part of the community for so long that of course we'd be there for them. Yeah, it it becomes more than dancing because you've spent so long with people.
0: Well, stone the flaming crows. It's time for Dan to do the Harry. Watch out for the next podcast and follow all Dan's activities at www.danielmainwaring.com.